Boa tarde. That's all the Bra Portuguese I know. <laughs> it's so nice to be in Brazil um, and to see so many minds hungry for, uh, for knowledge. So glad to be here. Today I'm going to talk about law and uh, major legal systems of the world and the relation to liberty. Okay. Now, before I start talking about law, I'm a lawyer my type of law, which you could call legal law, I'm going to talk about... Okay. Momento. Uh, actually, my talk, yes, my talk is based upon some previous articles I've written, which I will not... Hold on a second. Okay. Well, we may not use the slides. <laughs> um, let's talk about different types of law. The word law in English, and I believe also in other languages, uh, it has to do with the description of order in the universe. Okay, So we can think of different types of law. On the one hand, we have descriptive law, and on the other hand, we have prescriptive law. Descriptive law describes the laws of the world. So, for example, we have physical laws. This is what scientists study using the empirical method, right? They're trying to find causal laws of the universe. And also like the laws of economics, for example, supply and demand, or another type of descriptive law. Now, these are studied by a different method according to the Austrians, but they're still descriptive laws. Okay, and then we have I'm going to try this one more time. Okay. Now we have it. Yeah, that was Newton there. So then we have uh, prescriptive laws. Prescriptive laws are not in the realm of is statements. They're not factual. There are should statements or ought statements. They tell us what we should do. They prescribe behavior. And we can think of these in two classes. Moral laws, you should be nice to your grandmother, you should be honest, uh, and legal rules, right? Now these tell you what you must do. And by must, we mean you should do it, and if you don't, there's some kind of severe consequence, okay? So legal rules are the type of laws we're going to talk about today. Now, the laws we're all used to, legal laws, we can call them for now, but usually when I mention the word law, today I will be talking about legal law. Uh, you can divide it into different types. There's civil and criminal. Civil law is the private law that we all engage in, contracts, property. Uh, criminal law is the, the law the government enforces to put people in jail if they violate certain rules. Uh, you can divide law into customary or written law. Uh, you can have decentralized law versus legislated law. Okay. 
of decentralized law would be the law that emerges from a court system. Okay, legislative laws that the government announces, which is, will be the main topic of today's lecture. Uh, in terms of criminal law, there are two types of laws as libertarians think about it, malum in se and malum prohibitum. These are Latin terms. Malum in se means uh, something that is bad in and of itself. Malum prohibitum means a, an act that is decreed to be illegal just because it's prohibited by law. Libertarians tend to think only malum in se laws are legitimate laws, right? Uh, there are the just laws and then there are unjust laws. Okay. Now, I'm going to turn to, for a minute, to economics and to Ludwig von Mises and his understanding of human action, which he calls praxeology, the logic of human action because this does tie into the reason why law emerges and how it emerges and how libertarians should look at law. So as a general matter, when we humans act in the world, we have to use our knowledge to, to decide what to do, and we have to employ scarce means or resources to achieve things. Basically, everything every human does at any moment in time is trying to act trying to change the future, trying to achieve some purpose or goal or end by, by using means that can change what's going to happen. This is basically the, the structure of human action. Humans use some scarce resource or means to try to change the future, okay? But to do that, you have to have knowledge. So the two important ingredients of human action are knowledge and the availability of scarce resources. These are, these are very important to keep in mind. And this will tie into my speech tomorrow, which is related to intellectual property, uh, but I will leave some of those details out until tomorrow. But the basic point is we need knowledge to guide our action. We need knowledge to select ends to decide what to do, to know what's possible in the future, to have an idea of what's coming, and to be dissatisfied or uncomfortable with what we imagine will happen if we don't intervene. And we need to have knowledge of causal laws. That is, what is possible? What means can I use to change, to alter the course of history? Right. So basically, human action, and this is all the economics we need to get into for the purpose of law, is the idea that we have to conceive of human action as the use of means to achieve an end guided by knowledge, okay? So that means that to have a successful action, which Mises calls a profit or profitable action, we need to employ knowledge to guide our use of certain scarce resources. Now, this is true of even one person in what is called a Crusoe world, like Robinson Crusoe, a man on an island alone by himself. It has nothing to do with other people as of yet. Okay, but now when society is introduced, okay, when we have society introduced, there is another problem that humans face. 
on the one hand, society is good because we have other human beings that we can associate with, we can live and love with them, we can trade with them, we can benefit from, their, uh, from the division of labor. So there's a benefit, of course, to being in society, and humans are social animals. But one problem emerges that is not a problem for Crusoe on an island, which is the possibility of conflict. Because these scarce resources, our means, are, are scarce, there is the possibility of conflict because the nature of such a resource is that it can only be used by one person at a given time. Now, most human beings are social animals, and most of us prefer cooperation, welfare. We prefer our own welfare, but also that of our neighbors and our friends and family. And so we would prefer, instead of having violent conflict over these scarce resources, we would prefer to have rules that are generally respected that, that, that divide these resources and assign them to certain owners that allow these resources to be used in a peaceful way for prosperity and in a conflict-free way. Okay? This permits long-term planning. You know, you can't have a long-term factory or a farm if you think that marauders will take your property from you the very next day. So what we have is whenever there's a dispute, and remember, anytime there's a dispute, whenever there's a dispute, it's always because there's a conflict over the use of a scarce resource. It's not about knowledge at this point, because knowledge can be used by any number of people at the same time. It's always about the other aspect of human action, which is the control of scarce resources. Okay? So when there's a dispute, it's because there's a potential conflict over the use of these scarce resources. So people that prefer there to be rules that decide how these resources can be used, they tend to figure out rules based upon natural principles. Natural principles like, okay, in terms of human bodies, which is the fundamental resource, everyone is their own owner self-ownership. And in terms of other resources that we can acquire and use in the world to achieve our ends, the owner is the person who used it first. Because if you didn't have that rule, no one would ever be able to use a resource first and they would never able, be able to be used. Okay? And then some subsidiary rules like contract, which is the idea that if an owner of a resource transfers the resource by contract to another person, now he's the owner. Or if I damage another person, I owe them some restitution or rectification. So in that case, some of my property may transfer to this person as well. Now, originally in the, in the dawn of human civilization or in informal settings, these rules are worked out informally uh, by consensus or by custom. And then there may be some, uh, some uh, sometimes you will turn to a, an arbitrator, a king or a trusted wise person something like that. So this is how and why law emerges in society. Over time, over time, a body of legal rules will develop, and it is always based upon the, the occasional occurrence of disputes where there, a decision is made that, based, that is based upon past decisions and custom in the community and common sense and intuition and justice. 
okay? So then you have also, over time in a modern society, the field of legal scholarship would emerge, and you have legal scholars who organize, systematize, teach these body of rules, and they make adjustments to it, and they give criticism, and then the judges later on refer to this like a, a feedback system. So over time, you have a more and more sophisticated body of rules that will emerge. And all this, again, is because we live in a world of scarcity, and there needs to be property rules assigned uh, for scarce resources over which there can be disputes. All right. This is what we call law. This is what we think of as law, legal law. So all law, all law is about how to assign property rights. Even in socialist systems, it's always about property rights. Uh, it's not really technically correct when we libertarians say that we believe in private property rights and no one else does. In a sense, every legal system believes in property rights. We just have a disagreement over how they're supposed to be assigned. We basically believe they should be assigned in accordance with the basic principles of first ownership and contract and self-ownership. Other, other legal systems always have an answer to the question, who owns this resource? Who owns the resource? It's just that their answer is different than ours. In the case of a socialist system, the answer could be the poor person or the government or whatever. So they answer the questions differently, but there's always an answer to the question, who owns this thing? This thing that is possibly subject to dispute and conflict. So because of the problem of scarcity and the, the possibility of conflict, and because people live in society where this is possible and where people prefer to live in peace and prosperity, uh, law emerges. So you could say that society plus scarcity gives rise to law. Okay? Now there's a, a, a fantastic quote by Frederick Bastiat, the great uh, French uh, liberal economist from the 1800s. Uh, who has a great quote, which is the motto of the Property and Freedom Society, which I'm a member of. This is the, the group founded by Hans-Hermann Hoppe in 2006. He says, property does not exist because there are laws, but laws exist because there is property. Maybe he had something like this in mind. In other words, I think by property he's referring to the things that are owned. Because there are resources that are, that are uh, inherently scarce, which means there's a possibility of conflict, rules emerge to govern the use of those resources, which is law. So that is what law is. Okay, now, let's turn to the, uh, in, in uh, world history, to the origins of actual law and see how it compares to this, this sort of libertarian model of what law would be and how it would emerge. So first we have law emerging, that is the allocation of rights to control resources, by custom and practice and common sense. And then over time, there's a need to write these things down, to explain it to people, to clarify it. So the law starts being written down. So we have the Code of Hammurabi. Uh, the, that's the Babylonian code from about 4,000 years ago almost. Of course, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Roman law, the Twelve Tables from about 2,500 years ago. Uh, Jewish law in history, some other famous documents in history would be the Magna Carta in England, which, uh, which wrote down some of the principles that became the basis of modern English law. 
And then you did have occasional legislation, but legislation, which is a decree of the state or the government saying what the law should be going forward, was never the primary source of law until recent times. All right, so let's turn now to, uh, to modern law. I'm going to talk about the two major modern systems in the world today, which are common law and the civil law. But their foundations lie in two great traditional legal systems. One is the Roman law. One is the common law of England. The Roman law was about a thousand-year period of law around the Roman Republican Empire from about 439 B.C. to 530 A.D. Now, Justinian, the emperor Justinian, who is pictured on the… Top picture there. Uh, he had a lot of his legal experts write the law down in different codes uh, the Digest of Justinian, the Institutes, and luckily this helped preserve the Roman law, which was rediscovered years later during the Dark Ages. Otherwise, it might have been lost. This is called the Corpus Juris Civilis, so it's the body of Roman law. Even though it was written down, it was not primarily legislated. It was the result of a decentralized legal system in which legal experts called jurisconsults would answer questions about who should prevail in a, given, in a given dispute. The point is that in each of these disputes, the, the, the legal experts – you can think of them as judges – were always trying to answer the question, what is just? What is the right result? Who should win? Okay, so over time, these decisions resulted in a body of law, which is uh, one of the most – the greatest achievements of, uh, in human history. Okay, and the common law in England, which started later, also was a decentralized system based upon courts, which also developed a very sophisticated body of rules, which are the bases of today's two major legal systems, which I'll turn to in just a minute. Other ancient legal systems or older legal systems which had some influence would be the law merchant or the lex mercatoria, which was practiced in Italy and in Europe in the Middle Ages, uh, and canon law of the Roman Church, which both of which had an influence on today's law, especially the civil law such as we have in Brazil now. Okay, But the important thing to keep in mind is that the Roman law and the common law of England have in common that they were both decentralized. That is, they were not based primarily on legislation. They were a body of legal rules that emerged over time as disputes were settled in an attempt to find justice. Okay, so let's talk about today. Today's legal systems, the two major legal systems of the world, are the common law and the civil law or continental law. Uh, the common law is in practice in the UK because it comes from English common law, and in the Commonwealth countries of the UK, uh, of England, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, uh, India, uh, and also the United States. Okay, so it's, it's probably the most dominant legal system in the world because of that, because of America's and the West's um, and, the, and the British influence. And then the civil law or continental law is in place in most of Europe. And in most of Latin America, including Brazil and, uh, 
and other countries as well. Even socialist legal systems adopt, have adopted a form of, of law. Now, the difference between today's civil law and the original Roman law is that, uh, the, uh, is that it arose from the idea of codification or making codes. That is, formalizing the, formalizing the existing law, putting it in written form in a very systematic treatise, and then the legislature adopts it and announces it as the law. So the civil code in France, for example, the, one of the most famous codes was the Code Napoleon in 1804. Um, Legal experts took the existing law being practiced in, in that country, which was mostly Roman law plus some law merchant plus some customs, and they wrote it down in a systematic form, which is good, but then the legislature decreed it as the law. And when they did that, they, they put in place the principle of legislative supremacy or legal positivism, which is the idea that law flows from the government, not from custom and practice and justice and common sense. Okay. Other major uh, other legal systems today would be Jewish law, canon law of the Roman Catholic Church, Sharia law, which is Islamic, also international law, which you can think of as public international law, which is the relations between states. Uh, for example, the law of treaties, which is based upon the Latin idea of pacto sunt servanda, agreement should be respected. Uh, and international business law or trade law, which is similar to a modern version of uh, Lex Mercatoria. Uh, but we're going to focus today on common law and just civil law. Okay. So, for example, in the U United States, every state is a common law state except for my home state, Louisiana, because of the influence of France and Spanish law. So it's a mixed state which has a civil code based upon the French civil code. In fact, it was enacted in 1808, much earlier than many European uh, and Latin American codes. Uh, so Article 1 says the, source of legislation, the sources of law are legislation and custom, but custom may not abrogate legislation. So you see that what it does is it puts legislation up as the supreme source of law. Okay? Even though the substance of the code was based upon legal principles developed in a decentralized fashion. Now, in the common law in England, uh, of course, the, and, and in the United States and other common law countries, the government has the power to enact statutes or legislation, and they have been doing so increasingly in the last 100 or so years uh, because of the rise of democracy. In fact, Hans Hermann Hoppe refers to legislation as democratic lawmaking. So what's happening in both the common law countries and in the civil law countries is that in the civil law, legislation was already held up to be the idea of how law should be made. Instead of the result of decentralized decisions in search of justice, it's just whatever the government decrees. And over time, the civil codes in these civil law countries have become a smaller and smaller and smaller part of law as other specialized statutes are enacted by the legislature that override uh, uh, the civil, the civil law, and in the common law countries like the U.S. and England, statutes and legislation, of course, has become a bigger and bigger source of law, gradually encroaching on the field of common law. And in some cases, the common law is 
codified into the Uniform Commercial Code or other codes, and then the legislature in certain states enacts it as law. So over time, the state takes over uh, law by the use of legislation. Okay. Now, Hans-Hermann Hoppe has a fantastic article, not dealing directly with this, but he talk, it's banking, his Banking and Nation States article, where he talks about how the, the state takes over control of society. Okay, I'm going to go without the slides now. So it takes over institutions that are part of life, right? It takes over money. Education, transportation, communications, defense, and justice to the point where we all think of these institutions as being uh, linked with the government. We think of them as naturally coming from the government, and of course it takes over the law too by this process. Okay, So just as most people today think of money as something the government produces or even roads and education, we think of law as whatever the government decrees. Okay, So this is the common conception of law uh, today even among libertarians. Okay. Now, remember the original Yeah. Ah, okay, got it. I'm on the right slide now. Okay. Remember the original purpose of law is to come up with rules that de determine how property property can be allocated in an, in an attempt to do justice, to give these rights to the right person so that people can use these things peacefully and for prosperity, right? But there is no reason to believe that the announcements of a legislature, which is basically a committee of the state, would have anything to do with justice. It's just whatever they want. It can be an arbitrary announcement, okay? So the problem, one problem with legal positivism, which is the idea that law comes from the government, is that justice becomes irrelevant. So disputes now become about words and what words mean instead of about what's the just thing to do, who really is the owner, who's the right person in this dispute. So if judges today, their job is to interpret what a legislature wrote, to interpret the words of a statute. So if the statute says you must go to prison for 15 years if you have more than one ounce of cocaine or marijuana, that is what the law is. It has nothing to do with justice, and the judge's hands are often tied, and they must decide in an unjust way. Okay. Now, some other negative effects of what we see now, which is the trend of law becoming bound up with… with legislation, is that there's more uncertainty in the legal system. The Italian legal theorist Bruno Leone, in his wonderful book, Freedom and the Law, wrote a lot about this. He explained that uh, when you have more uncertainty, then there are many bad social effects. And there's more uncertainty because the legislature can change its mind. In the United States right now, we've had a type of socialized medical care introduced by President Obama called Obamacare which President Trump is trying to change. And so at, at the current time, the medical companies, the medical insurers, the hospitals don't know what's coming. 
So some of them are sitting and they, they're not announcing their new rules. They don't know what the coverage will be. They don't know what states they'll operate in because they're waiting to see what the new rules will be. Even if the new rules are better or whether they're worse, the point is there's uncertainty because everyone knows that the government can change the rules from day to day. The common law doesn't have these problems. A decentralized legal system doesn't have these problems because judges, when they make a decision, there are certain things that limit what they can do. Number one, they can only make a decision when they're asked to do so by at least two parties that are, have a dispute. And their decision – and the judge's decision only affects those two parties. It doesn't affect society at large, and if the decision is a bad one or seen as bad, other judges don't have to follow it later. So there's a more incremental approach and a more justice-focused approach in a decentralized legal system than in a legislative system. Uncertainty also makes the use of contracts less prevalent because uncertainty means you can't rely upon a contract because you don't know if the government will enforce the contract. They might say this contract is unfair or against public policy, and so companies will resort to other techniques to get around having to use contracts, but these are more costly, which is why they would have used the contract in the first place. Okay, so they have more costly alternatives. So it does cost society. And time preference in general, right? And remember, the lower the time preference in terms of economics, the more longer, the more roundabout processes we can use to engage in production, etc. Time preference is lowered because the future is more uncertain in a system where there's legislation, and lower time preference has many uh, obvious and documented effects. There's more crime because punishment is more uncertain. Uh, there's more increased consumption, short-term consumption, uh, decreased investment. These are relative things. So the very fact of legislation impoverishes society as well. Okay, and then we have the phenomena as we see now where we have a snowballing effect where more and more laws get passed and as Mises said, controls lead to controls because when there's an intervention by the government and the economy, it always messes some, it, it causes problems, and then more legislation or interventions are necessary to try to fix that problem, and then they cause problems, and it just continues on and on and on. So as you have more and more laws, special interest groups start proliferating, and everyone wants their piece of the pie, or they want their special interest law that benefits their group or to fight off the effects of another law that was passed earlier. So you have these wars in society of wars of all against all that start emerging when everyone tries to get control of or influence over the legislature to get laws passed that benefit them, which is, of course, the opposite of the entire purpose of law, which is to reduce conflict. So making law by legislation increases conflict. And there's so many laws that we are all lawbreakers. I guarantee we're all lawbreakers, especially in the United States. Uh, it's impossible to live a day without violating a law because there are just so many. We don't even know how many laws there are. No one knows how many laws there are. There are millions of laws. And the, what this does is it gives discretion to the government to selectively enforce these laws against people they don't like, troublemakers, right? And this also… 
So this also reduces the respect for law. People stop thinking of law as bound up with justice and it's just whatever the government says. So it leads to people not respecting the law as much. And it also leads to people being used to following orders of the government. They become good citizens. They become good soldiers. They show up for jury duty. They fight in the government's wars. They pay their taxes. They become more docile, more subservient to the state. And this allows the government to get away with more things, right? to become more tyrannical. So in conclusion, this is why we must end the practice of legislation as a means of making law and recognize that legislation Legislated laws have no connection to justice. Thank you. Can you come with me there to sit sure. there? Sure. Pessoal, o link foi colocado aqui. Tem que colocar exato na hora que aparecer a vinda aquele link para ficar certo para errar. Siga as instâncias que estão aqui. Né, Força tudo mais estrutura, aumentar a estrutura, para que a vitória lá, lá fora para a inscrição. Obrigado, pessoal. Actually, uh, the so tomorrow I will actually speak about intellectual property, including patent and copyright law. So I can address these questions tomorrow. But a short answer to the question would be, uh, as a as a primary matter, patents can only arise by legislation which is already one reason to be suspect of any patent law at all. Not just because of what patents do, but because it cannot emerge on the private market. The reason patents cannot arise on a decentralized legal system is because, as I said earlier, judges can only decide uh, a dispute between two parties, like a contract dispute or a property dispute. They cannot affect third parties. but Patent law is what we call, in, in Latin you can say patent law is a type of in rem right or a property right which affects everyone as opposed to a pure contract right which only affects the parties to the contract. So the people that believe that something like a patent system can emerge only because uh, – based only on contract law are just simply confused about the nature of law. In rem rights, property rights cannot emerge from contract rights. It's the other way around. Contract rights are the rights of property owners. Contract is just how a property owner allocates his resources. Now, as I'll argue tomorrow, all patent law is totally unjust and should be abolished. Um, not only because it's legislation, but that's one reason, but also because it amounts to a taking of property and a restriction on freedom. And of course, genetic patents are just one type of that. 
Uh, I don't know, I would say genetic patents are any worse than any other types of patents, although there's something especially offensive, I think, about the idea that a, the government would grant a property right in terms of a patent to someone which allows them to basically control the genetic makeup of another person's body. Well, to achieve a more libertarian set of laws and a more libertarian society, we need to have a more libertarian society, of course. So the more people that are uh, in agreement with their ideas is, is the fundamental step. Uh, in terms of actual mechanics or logistics of doing this, um, the power of the legislature could be radically restricted. So, for example, you could have in the Constitution, uh, you could have supermajority requirements, which says that there can only be legislation if, say, two-thirds of the legislature agrees. And then otherwise, you let the courts come up with the laws, like it was in, until fairly recent times. The, the dominant source of law would have been court systems or decentralized systems. So the more restrictions you can put on the legislature, the less, le legis the, the less uh, prevalence legislation will have in any given society, and then the more just these laws will tend to be. Well, I sympathize with the position of judges um, because their job is usually to interpret whatever the legislature had written down. Uh, if you had a libertarian judge who routinely uh, refused to enforce a law because it was unjust, right? So he acted like a, a, juror, a jury member in the United States or England who engages in what's called jury nullification, right? He just simply refuses to vote guilty even if the defendant did break the written law but he believes the result would be unjust. This is what jury nullification does, and I believe jurors should do that. And they have the right to do that under jury systems where, where the, uh, the, someone accused of a crime has the right to a, to a jury trial. Most civil systems do not have that right, I believe. This is more of a common law thing. But in those systems, the juror has the right to nullify the law effectively by voting not guilty because that can't be challenged because of what's called double jeopardy. Uh, someone can't be tried twice for the same crime. The judge could engage in the version of that, but the problem is he's usually subject to review by higher judges. And if he just disobeys the law and acquits someone because it's unjust to convict them, and he follows the natural law instead of the legal law, he will simply be fired. So he can't do too much good. There might be an exception for 
someone who rises to the very top, and they're a United States Supreme Court judge. They're in there for life, and they're the highest court in the land. Even then, they could be impeached if they are too far out of bounds. Um, so I think that the best you can hope for is for judges to push the law a little bit in a little more just direction when they have the chance. But if they're to avoid being terminated or fired or impeached, they're going to have to obey the law even when it's unjust, unfortunately. Of course, Hayek has written a lot about this process. Um, now, I am an anarcho-capitalist. My criticism of legislation is not necessarily, you don't need necessarily need to be an anarchist to have this criticism. The criticism of legislation, uh, you don't even really need to be a libertarian. It's just a legal view about what is the better way of making law. Um, now, in, even in a government legal system, there is no reason it needs to be dominated by legislation as it is now. You could still have a state legal system where lawmaking is primarily done in the courts. In that court system, it can be hierarchical, and there could be an appeal process, and there usually is an appeal process. You have the lower courts, the trial courts, then you have the appeals courts, and then you have maybe a higher court, the Supreme Court. So there's always the possibility of going to more and more specialized and uh, wiser or more authoritative judges to try to settle a dispute. But in the end, there has to be some, settle, some settlement, and there's always the possibility the, mistake, the, the, the decision of the court will be wrong. Now, one thing I, I could point out in regard to the question of Hayek is that uh, Bruno Leone, who I mentioned earlier, the Italian legal theorist, um, I highly recommend his, his wonderful book, Freedom and the Law. He talks about a lot of the matters I brought up tonight. One thing he talks about, which I did not bring up because I actually changed my mind on this, he takes what Hayek said about central planning of an economy, and he makes an analogy to legislation. So in Hayek's version of Mises' central 
economic planning argument, right? Mises' argument is that socialism cannot work because there are no property rights and resources, and then there are no prices, and the prices are not available to allow rational economic forecasting. Hayek's version of that focuses more on knowledge, and he talks about how there's a knowledge problem. I'm of the opinion that Mises was right and that the Hayekian uh, treatment of socialism was a, was a confusing diversion, but some Austrians believe that that's the second way of looking at the problem or explains more, etc. But Hayek's basic argument was that knowledge is dispersed across society and is tacit, and it's, because of its nature, it's impossible for the central economic planning board of an economy to have enough knowledge to rationally plan the economy. That's Hayek's argument. Bruno Leone said, well, this is true of legislation too, because law to be genuine law and just law has to emerge from local customs and practices, which also cannot be collected and understood and known by a central legal planning board, which is the legislature. So Bruno Leone made an analogy between Hayek's criticism of socialist economic planning and socialist legal planning, which he called, which is legislation. I think it's not a bad analogy just to think about, but it's not ultimately rigorously true. In other words, the main problem with, with legislation is not the lack of knowledge on the part of the legislators. It's the incentives they face and the fact that they don't have to come up with rules that are just. They can just announce whatever they want. They can decree anti-discrimination laws, tax laws, environmental laws that are just whatever the majority of that committee prefers, and they have no necessary connection to justice. Mm -hmm.